Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Today we're going to look at a message called A Refuge from the Storm. Two places you want to turn to initially is Isaiah 25 and Acts 28. We are actually going to complete the book of Acts today. Some of you wondered if we were ever going to preach anything but the book of Acts, but here we are. Isaiah 25 and Acts 28, a refuge from the storm. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you so much for all the precious people that have come out today. They want to know you better. I know that that's the heart of the Christian is to, to know our God better. And we're excited about the ministry that you're doing in our midst, Lord, and we want to give you the glory We thank you that the word of God is alive, that it's living and powerful, and we want to stand on the promises, and we want to celebrate your presence today. That's what Paul did as he rose above the storm that we saw last week. He he was anchored to your promises. He knew that your presence would not leave him or forsake him. And I want to pray over this message, Lord, that you would lead it where you want it to go. Thank you that you are our refuge in the storm. And I pray that as we finish the book of Acts, you'll help us to continue the story of the acts of the Holy Spirit in our midst, in the midst of our city and country. We need it so desperately, Lord. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem with all that's going on in the Middle East right now. We ask, Father, that your hand will give our leaders wisdom, that we'll be listening to your voice and moving in a direction that would please you. So we lay this time before you, ask that you would work in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts 25, a refuge from the storm, verse 1. O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee, I will give thanks to thy name. For thou hast worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Isaiah 25, 2. Thou hast made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin. A palace of strangers is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will glorify thee. Cities of ruthless nations will revere thee. For thou hast been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress. This is Isaiah 25, 4. A refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. Like heat and drought, thou dost subdue the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of a cloud, the song of the ruthless is silenced. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, or look, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And all God's people said, Praise the Lord for his wonderful word. Now, the book of Acts, we're in chapter 28. Last time we were together, we looked at the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul, went through that terrible storm. The ship began to break break apart. Paul took leadership. 
showed his faith in the promises of God. He was anchored to God. And because he was, he rose above the storm and he showed leadership. And we all need to do that in our own storms in life. And his leadership and faith came from two things right out of the gate. He believed and stood upon the promises of God and he knew that he had the presence of God. And that's what you and I have today. We have the promises of God to which we can be anchored, and we have the presence of God. And the promise of Hebrews 13 is to you and to me, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So all of a sudden, now the ship is breaking apart, and uh, if you were with us last Sunday, you know that the people who could swim were told to swim to shore. Other people were hanging on to wreckage of the ship, and they came into a place known today as St. Paul's Bay on the island of Malta. All 276 people made it to the shore. The ship didn't make it, but there was not one life lost, and Paul said, you must stay on the ship Otherwise, you cannot be saved. And everybody did it. They got rid of the grain. They got rid of the little boat that they could get away on. And everybody made it to shore. And can you imagine how that must have felt? I mean, after a storm, it's not a bad deal to have an island, right, that you can hang out on. And the island happened to be a place called Malta. So Luke continues to paint the picture of this adventure of the book of Acts. He says, Acts 28, 1, and when they had been brought safely through, God was faithful to his promises, then we found out that the island was called Malta. I don't know if there was a sign right there on the beach. You have now arrived at the island of Malta. What is the island of Malta? It's located 58 miles south of Sicily. It's about 17 miles long and nine miles wide. And so here they are on the island. But there was a problem in the ancient world. We know this from historians and commentators of the Bible that sometimes when you arrived via shipwreck on an island, the natives might just kill you. They would either murder you or enslave you. At least these were possibilities. And so can you imagine coming up on the shore, realizing you're on an island, and then having natives begin to approach you and going, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know if they want to have lunch or we're going to be their lunch. And many missionaries over the years you know, have come to native soil and they have approached people that they didn't speak the same language with a heart to lead them to Christ, a very much an act of faith and not knowing. And sometimes it didn't always go well, but uh, they didn't know how they would necessarily respond. But notice the grace of God. And the natives showed us extraordinary kindness. Now, Luke's word for natives there is sometimes translated barbarians. It just means they didn't know Greek. They weren't like some uh, people who didn't know, you know, anything about life and, you know, just uh, cloistered on an island. But they showed us, notice, extraordinary kindness. This uh, dual word in English is a single Greek word, philanthropia, where we get the word philanthropy or philanthropic. And that speaks of a person who is benevolent or who does good to others. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you go through a storm, you end up sometimes on an island where you need some rest, and people maybe unexpectedly show you extraordinary kindness. And sometimes it comes from non-Christians. You know, kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes unbelievers, frankly, can be more kind than, dare I say it, believers? But here they are on the island, and the natives approach, but they showed extraordinary kindness, and I'm sure everybody took a deep breath. And the island of Malta was filled with Phoenician people of Phoenician descent, and in the Phoenician language, Malta means, get this, a place of refuge. 
And right after the storm, what do we need? We need a place of refuge. We need to know that there's a place that we can maybe kind of resettle and, and, and get stuff together because we've been through difficult storms and that's exactly how, why God rerouted Paul. At least he would exploit the storm for these purposes. He rerouted Paul so that he would be blessed and be a, plus, a blessing that we'll see in a moment. And sometimes when we get a divine reroute, we go through a storm and we might, we might be wondering, God, why did you allow this? Why am I some, on some island and not at Rome yet? Why you know, have you blown us off course as it were? Because God will sometimes exploit those opportunities. Maybe he has a purpose in mind for your uh, pause here at this particular place, a place of refuge means something beneath us, behind or within each person. It speaks of protection from storms, even missiles and adverse conditions. It speaks of a refuge. The protection or refuge afforded by such a thing. An example, he took shelter in a nearby barn. And so this is what it means. God is our refuge and strength. Now, several Psalms I want to take you to. The first is Psalm 17. David wrote about half of the Psalms in your Bible. Find Psalm 17. And David wrote a lot of the Psalms in distress. Now, though though the Psalms are, uh, in many cases, worship-type songs, they are written in the reality of life's struggles. David was anointed king at a very young age, but he had to wait to get the throne, some historians believe, for 20 years. He knew it was going to be his, but he had to wait. Sometimes we can't wait 20 minutes for a promise of God. And David writes in Psalm 17, verse 5, as he prays, My steps have held fast to thy paths. My feet have not slipped. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt answer me, O God. Incline thine ear to me. Hear my speech. Wondrously show thy loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at thy right hand, from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of thy wings. Turn to Psalm 57. This psalm David writes as he's fleeing from Saul. Saul had become crazed with the idea of killing David, throwing spears at him, chasing him all over the wilderness. David ended up hiding in a cave. And as he was hiding in a place of refuge, he wrote these words. This is Psalm 57, verse 1. He said, Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in thee. And in the shadow of thy wings, I I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me, Selah. That means pause and ponder. Think about it. God will send forth, you might wonder, okay, if it says he will send from heaven and save me, how does that work? And last week when we saw the shipwreck, we noted the idea of frapping. And it's the Greek word botheo, and it's used in Hebrews 2 and 4 for Jesus steadying us in our storms in life. And you might say, well, how does Jesus steady us? When we approach that throne of grace, what does he give us? And here David answers the question. He says he will send forth from heaven two things, his loving kindness and what? And his truth. The psalmist will say elsewhere that his loving kindness is better than life. And this is his, literally his hesed, his faithful covenant love. He will not forsake us. He will continue to love us and he will send us his truth. That is truth that we can stand upon. Go to Psalm 61. This is what we have, the presence of God and the promises of God. That's what David had as well. Psalm 61, another psalm of David. David says, hear my cry, O God. 
give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to thee. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in thy tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of thy wings. Do you see this image come up over and over again? God covering us in the shadow of his wings. And then finally, Psalm 118. This is a celebration of God's loving kindness, his hesed, his faithful love, his covenant love. And it says in Psalm 118, as the writer celebrates this covenant love, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, Psalm 118, verse 1, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say, and boy, Israel needs this, These days, as Hamas continues to bombard Israel with bomb after bomb, his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 118, verse 3. Oh, let the house of Aaron say, his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord, is that you? Can you say, his loving kindness is everlasting. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, if God is for us, do you remember? Who can be against us? What will separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress? He goes through a list. Angels, principalities, life, death. No created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Perhaps Paul picked that up from these words. The Lord is for me, verse 6, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall look with, notice, satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You live long enough and you know it's hard to trust in people because people can fail us, but God will not. Go to, back to the book of Acts and let me read Jeremiah sixteen nineteen. Jeremiah, in the midst of his distress, says, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold and my refuge in the day of distress, to thee the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers have inherited nothing but falsehood, futility, and things of no profit. I think Jeremiah is painting a last day scenario when the nations will finally come to the God of Israel and say, they'll say, our fathers, you know what they taught us? Futility falsehood and things that didn't profit. But the God of Israel is the opposite. He gives us truth. He gives us things that really matter. He gives us things that will profit us in the end. And so here they are on this island and all of a sudden God uses these strangers, these natives, and they are being very kind to them. And because of the rain, verse 2, Acts 28, uh, that had set in and because of the cold, and you can imagine everybody's probably pretty cold and pretty beat up. They, that's the natives, kindled a fire and received us all. Can you imagine being one of those shipwrecked people? The natives run up, all of a sudden they make a fire, and they say, come, sit down, warm yourself. And you're like, who, me? You want me to come there? Yeah, you, come on. And it must have been a big fire because there was a lot of people around, but they kindled a fire, and everybody's trying to warm themselves up. And uh, Paul, who's a man of action, look at verse 3 had gathered a bundle of sticks. Now, if you were Paul and you had made all these predictions and they all came through and people were probably asking you about faith in Christ and how you know these things and angels appearing to you on board the ship, you might be thinking, I'm the man. I'm the man. Fan me. Give me another grape. Isn't that wonderful, right? 
Oh, you go, go get the sticks. It, you, you add to the fire. I'm going to just kick back in my easy chair. Can somebody get me a drink with one of those umbrellas? You know. But Paul didn't do that. He was a man of action. And a fire was made. And he went to gather some sticks to add to the fire. And I'll tell you that there's a fire here right now. Brothers and sisters, do you sense it? The Holy Spirit's on the move. He's adding to the church. He's stirring the church. There's a fire. And we are to fan into flame the gift of God, which we have through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Put it into practice. Get some sticks and throw them on the fire. Do your part. And it's awesome to see all these volunteers at Vacation Bible School and evangelism that's happening and, and Royal Family Kids Camp and radio and all these things happening. Multitudes of ministries going out, missionaries going out, reaching people for Christ. Throw some sticks on the fire. And Paul did just that. But don't you notice that in life, there's always that word but. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto Paul's hand. I mean, you just been shipwrecked, you're blowing in. Are the, are the natives going to eat us? No, they're kind, they're good people. Okay, let's get some sticks. And he went and got some sticks and something that looked like a stick was actually a snake. And as Paul threw the bundle into the fire, the snake didn't like the flame so much, so he looked for a way out. And it happened to be Paul's hand. And zoop, the snake latched onto him. And if you're Paul, how would you be feeling right now? I mean, you're the apostle Paul. Lord, come on. Isn't it enough already? Ever been in the ocean and you went out and the waves got big, you know, and you get past one wave and here comes another. Oh, no. <laughs> you're in the washing machine in the wave and you get under that one and oh, no. Paul had to feel like that. We had the proverbial saying going from the frying pan into the fire, but Paul went from the storm to the snake bite. Have you ever had one of those days? Come on, Lord. Isn't it enough? Couldn't you keep from snakes from biting me? And here's this viper fastened onto his hand. I'm sure we've all had days like that. Lord, I didn't need one more thing. I thought I was going to rest on the island, a place of refuge. Malta. Did you know Malta is where chocolate Malta shakes came from? <laughs> Seriously. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. And so when this happens, you have a couple of options. You can either let the snake bite shake you up, or you can shake it off. I heard a story about two frogs who fell into a can of cream or so I heard it told. The sides of the can were shiny and steep. The cream was deep and cold. Oh, what's the use, croaked frog number one. Tis fate, no helps around. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, cruel world. And weeping still, he drowned. But frog number two of sterner stuff, dog paddled in surprise, the while he wiped his creamy face and dried his creamy eyes. I'll swim a while at least, he cried, or so I've heard he said. It really wouldn't help the world if one more frog were dead. An hour or two, he kicked and swam. Not once he stopped to mutter, but kicked and kicked and swam and kicked and hopped out via butter. <laughs> and when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, that tells me that this was happening a little while, and, you know, Paul was 
And the natives looked. And when they saw it, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, Justice, and they thought Justice was an ancient goddess, they called her Dike, has not allowed him to live. Now the natives sat around there being kind until the snake bit Paul. And then they said, Aha! You see, this man, he's a murderer. And you know, they were right. He was. As a matter of fact, in his trials, he told the kings and the governors, he stood before, I used to try to imprison Christians, and when they were being put to death, I cast the black stone. I cast my vote against them. I said, yes, Stephen should die, and others like him, and I pursued them to foreign cities. He was a murderer, and the snake tried to bite Saul, but Saul became Paul. And the serpent, back in Genesis 3, you remember the prophecy says that the serpent will bruise his heel, the Messiah, but the Messiah will crush him on the head. And Jesus has taken the snake bite for you and me, and the serpent's poison can't kill you anymore. See, Jesus has defamed death, and he's made an open spectacle of principalities and powers triumphing over them through the cross, and the serpent can try to bite you all he wants, but death dies in the resurrection. And that's what Paul knew. He knew he was a forgiven man. That's why he preached the gospel of grace. But there's another point, and I want to make it as strong as I can. It's easy for us sometimes when we see something happening to a person to assume the worst. You know, oh, they, they certainly must have done something wrong. That's why that snake's hanging from his hand. All right? We can come to all our conclusions. Even in Jewish theology of the day, the rabbis thought that if you were born blind, maybe you did something in the womb or your parents sinned. Somebody had to sin here, but that's not the reason that all calamities happen. We know that. We're in a fallen world. Sometimes things just happen. And there's Paul. And the natives are looking at this, but there's a however. And the however in verse 5 says, he shook the creature off into the fire, and then they barbecued it because it tastes like chicken. <laughs> Actually, he doesn't say that, but anyway, into the fire. And he suffered no harm. He shook it off. I've coached Little League for years, and sometimes the Little Leaguers, you know, their greatest fear is being hit by the ball, but inevitably they're going to get hit, Right? And so a little kid comes up to the plate. You say, it's going to be fine. Just stare down the pitcher. And you, they say, but he's 6'4", and he's got a beard, and he's 12. It's 225. It's all right. You'll be fine. Get in there. Throws a pitch three feet outside. The kid's bailing out, right? Get in there. So, right? And inevitably it comes. The little kid gets hit by Butch, who's 6'4", shaving every day. Right? Whack! And then the famous line of the coach is, shake it off. Shake it up. You're five now. <laughs> Little kids. <laughs> Mommy. Shake it off. Well, we do have a couple options in life. We can get shook up, and certainly I think there's room for that. But Paul shook the creature off into the fire, and that's where the enemy is going to end up, by the way. One day he'll be cast into the lake of fire. Praise God. Jesus, who knew no sin, took the serpent's bite. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, and he defeated our enemy. And so the natives, I think, were taking some bets. 
verse 6, they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. <laughs> I don't know if they were, oh, what do you think? You think his head will swell first? Oh, I, think, I think it's his leg. No, it's his hand. That's where he got bit. His hand's going to swell. And they're all watching him. And they watched and they watched and they were expecting that he would swell up and fall down dead. I don't read anywhere that anybody called 911. Uh, let's just watch him. What do you think is going to happen? He's going to swell up and die. I just know it. It's like, come on. What happened to the extraordinary kindness? Anyway, but after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say, he's a god. Don't you love the fickleness of people? He's a murderer. He's going to die. The goddess of justice has is, is got him now. No, never mind. He's a god. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. The final chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, is the conclusion but it's also just the beginning. A lot of people have commented that the book of Acts just continues. It, it ends rather abruptly, but it also continues because the work of the Holy Spirit doesn't stop. And what we have in Acts chapter 28, as we come down to the end of the story, at least for this particular book of the Bible, is the Apostle Paul now in his own rented quarters under some sort of house arrest and people who come to see Paul. And as they come to see him, of course, Paul, always thinking of wanting to share the gospel, um, people came out in large numbers, and Paul testified about the kingdom of God, and he tried to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. We, could, we got a call recently on a, a Bible Answer show that we do, and the question for the person had on their heart was this, I have a Jewish friend. They only believe in the Old Testament. What do I do? How am I going to preach Christ? They're not open to the New Testament. Well, folks, you don't need the New Testament to preach Christ. Of course, you know, the, the New Testament is the prime place you would go to if they're open to it, but you can preach Christ from the Old Testament as well. That's what Paul was doing with this particular audience. He did it from morning until evening, and some were being persuaded, but others would not believe. And Paul, as the book of Acts concludes, he quotes from the book of Isaiah, he says these words, and they're so poignant that we must hear them one more time. He says, The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father, saying, Acts 28:26, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in return, and I should heal them. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.